Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, a tirade-filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And, <laughs> wow, I had one ready for our next recording, but I have nothing ready for this one, so I'm just going to go, who dares wills? Ooh, I, I like it. I, I like it. I, I don't know. But, but considering we're naming the episode the final option, uh, that's going to make no sense to anyone. But there you No, go. other than the Brits who know that movie by that name. So for all of our English listeners, maybe even our Irish listeners, they, they'll get the joke and go, oh, yeah. In the meantime, American, British, or otherwise, we're damn glad to have you folks. Ladies and gentlemen, this is all for tantrum's sake. We're shared passions and high fives. Wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love, win what you win, and will what you will. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, we have a very special guest. Uh, Michael Fett is here, um, a Phoenix diehard of cinema and fandom that Will is going to introduce more because I don't, I, I'm just meeting Michael for the first time. Well, Michael is an encyclopedia, a walking film encyclopedia. I mean, not only does he know everything about film, but he puts together the most eclectic strangest most bizarre yet somehow tangentially related double features i've had the privilege of watching so yeah. michael why don't you say something about yourself good sir well that's pretty well a good description of me some of my friends call me a walking talking uh, film encyclopedia out there i'm just a big uh, lover of film uh, of myself and i buy way too much too many films and uh i probably see close to 150 to 200 something a year in the theater, not to mention whatever I uh, buy, uh, bring home with, bring home with me. And what you would call a addiction, but at least it's not a dangerous addiction. This is true. And I am jealous of your disposable income and free time. Clearly. Well, <laughs> I will say cataloging, not your strong suit because right now, as of right now, I have two of your DVDs that you let me borrow. Uh-oh. I have I have a copy of the Australian pre-Mad Max biker movie Stone inside a Blu-ray copy of Logan Lucky. And I also <laughs> have, which I forgot, the copy of Who Dares Wins uh, on Blu-ray in a, in a Blu-ray case of Promising Young Woman. So uh, cataloging probably your, your, your kryptonite. As a collector, perhaps, but other than that, you know, pretty much the the most knowledgeable film person I've ever met in my life. Well, Michael is damn glad to have you, man. Thank you. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, our format is this. The recommending lover, in this case, our guest, will always go first. They will get five uninterrupted minutes to shower their praise and state their high-minded case of the choice of today. And we haven't even mentioned the choice of today, so I'll drop it right here. Folks, we're going to do Who Dares Win, since we kind of set that joke up with Will's bad pun. Uh, for those of you who are on Tubi and on the state side of things, uh, it's called The Final Option. Uh, the hater, if there is a hater or just the middle person, will follow with five uninterrupted minutes of their own to present their counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth. If there's one of us or two of us, we'll find out. After that, we'll open it up for 15 to 50 minutes of a shared conversation where the hissy fit really gets chippy. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to float over to Tubi and find this one because we have the final option. We good to go, gentlemen? I'm good. 
All right. Michael, as the guest, the red carpet is yours. Five minutes. Tell us, you know, uh, high-level thoughts, why you picked it. Just whatever five minutes you want to do to kind of introduce where this bad boy is coming from. Okay. I'll make sure to talk loud uh, uh, here. Maybe I'm letting my voice go. So I'll start over. Uh, So I love all different types of films uh, in here. And one of the films that I really love is uh, Who Dares Wins. Uh, uh, Yoon or Ian, I'm not sure how you pronounce his first name, Lloyd, uh, British film producer one night uh, was at a theater uh, watching a film when it suddenly stopped. Uh, Lloyd walked out outside the theater and in person watched uh, Operation Nimrod. Uh, that's the uh, siege of the uh, Iranian embassy by the British uh, SAS, Special Air Service. Of the Green Berets or Navy SEALs, whatever you want to call it. He was taken completely back by what he witnessed in person. And it was kind of like a kid walking into a candy store there or a toy store for the first time. He just knew he had to tell their story on the big screen. He immediately registered all the trademarks uh, of what he could think of and then he decided to make a film. Now, Lloyd had some success in the past with some films uh, here, uh, but most of his uh, success that he had would be films like The Wild Geese, which feels like The Expendables, uh, but with kind of retired, uh, kind of like not retired, but uh, way past their prime actors uh, in there who, you know, it would be kind of like our dads at that time wanting to recapture their childhood and watch their actors on the screen. Not something maybe the whole general public wants to go see uh, there. Uh, that said, he wanted to push the envelope this time to deliver a film that uh, you'd never expect to come from him. And nothing could be more evident than uh, casting Lewis Collins as the lead in this film here. Now, Lewis Collins, I, I have a, per, I have a per, uh, love for him like some people like uh, Jackie Chan, some people like that. I mean, he's a true kind of badass uh, uh, there. Across the screen, I mean, he once uh, took all the SAS, and they wouldn't let him join the SAS because he was too big of a person uh, mm. there. And at that time, he was just finishing up a show called CI5, The Professionals, uh, there, uh, where it was a, an extremely violent show uh, at the time to where uh, when people were watching it, uh, some of the people, uh, censors uh, like the British decency community with like uh, Mary Whitehouse would go on and make a long complaint against him. Either way, that made him the British public as the one guy to take over uh, for Roger Moore as James Bond, which never happened. Uh, screen test that he gave him. But that didn't stop Lloyd from trying to make his own version of a, a Bond uh, film uh, in the role where he plays Skellen. Uh, there, which is essentially uh, 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 a SAS officer that, weirdly, you don't really know why. He, he gets kicked out of the SAS, and then he tries to infiltrate this, uh, what you would call a terrorist group. But you don't really know why. It's not really set up very well. It's like he's supposed to be underneath a secret mission this first half. It's not set up very well there in this t- entire first half of the film. is pretty bad what makes up for it is you do have the titles are done by maurice binder james bond and you do have a pretty jazzy uh score uh going along with it uh there that more than makes up for quite a bit of it uh that said uh you know it's really when you start getting to the second half of this film 
that I uh, that I get blown away. Uh, they're mainly from uh, when the terrorist group took over the uh, U.S. Airmen's uh, uh, bus right there, and from there on in that part there, it's solid. The action is the action is there. The uh, intensity of the actors are there. You've got Judy Davis, who plays Frankie Leith, who uh, you really believe her as a terrorist in this film uh, in there. And then you get down to what I would call the final 10 minutes of this film, which is a kind of the SAS goes in and takes uh, SAS goes in and tries to stop the terrorists from their uh, their plan in there and take back the uh, mansion in which they have a lot of hostages uh, in there. And those 10 minutes are fast paced, uh, uh, gorgeous uh, in there and just keep you attached. uh, And I I don't have too much that I can say to try to keep trying to uh, defend uh, the film much, except for that last uh, uh, part there. Other than, you know, I used to be inside the military, and when you uh, take the SAS's siege of that place, it really feels like the sieges that that I took part in when I was inside the military when we were practicing and stuff like that. That's how fast they go, and that's how realistic it felt. I mean, I think Lloyd did pretty good. There you go. That's a good solid five right there. You did well. All right. Will, are you more of a lover than me on this one? What's your temperature I'm, on this? I'm meh. I'm you know, equally I, meh. Do you want to go first or second? Yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll go. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so who dares wins? If it talks like a James Bond film and it walks like a James mm. Bond film, then nope, nope, still not a Bond film. Um, <laughs> it tries, though. I mean, I, I do see um, the what's his name? Lewis Collins. I, I like him. Like when I found out when Michael told me that he was in the running for replacing Roger Moore, which is actually kind of funny that, uh, you know, you mentioned the wild geese. Cause that does sound, that does uh, star Roger Moore. Um, and he, even he admits he's too old, you know, cause every time you watch those latter day Moore films, it's just gets weirder and weirder. Like they, they had to find women, that were at least 30 years <laughs> younger than him instead of 40 to, for him to woo. Um, I don't know if Lewis Collins would have been necessarily the greatest replacement because he's kind of old looking anyway. So not sure how that would have worked, but uh, I, I do like his charm. He's got a good accent. He's got a good build. He's got the James Bond build. He's not like um, super muscular or, you know, he's muscular, but he's fit, but he's not like, you know, I mean, the only one that's ever been like a bodybuilder has been Daniel Craig, but you know, Connery, Connery was tall and slim and, and, you know, looked healthy and Roger Moore, you know, always looked tall, slim and healthy and Pierce Brosnan. And so he would have fit the body type and he has the charm. Um, and I did watch this thinking, yeah, what what if this was a series? Like what if we got the what's the what's the character's name? Skel Skellington? Skellin? Skellin? 
Skellin. You know, what if we got like a Skellin series? I, I don't, you know, a, along the lines of a Jack Ryan kind of thing. Um, I, I wouldn't mind. I, I enjoyed him. Judy Davis was excellent as the character. I just think that uh, a couple of things are working against the film. Um, despite the fact that a lot of the stunt work that I read was done by uh, the James Bond stunt team, um, obviously filmed in England and the cinematography is got that Bondian quality where it's, uh, you know, it's gorgeous, but not like too gorgeous, like too cinematic. It still has that kind of, you know, 70s, 80s capturing the, you know, the, the backgrounds and, and uh, you know, foregrounds of England. Um, but uh, yeah, I just think uh, I, I, it was enjoyable, but the two things working against it is one, it, it feels like a Michael Bay film in the fact that like, I have this feeling that Ian Sharp, who would go on to be the assistant director on a number of things, including Goldeneye, um, you know, he became an assistant director on a lot of famous popular films. Um, it, it just feels like he's masturbating over the power of the SAS, which is the phrase who dares wins is I, I typed that into Google. Uh, and all I got was like military porn. Uh, and <laughs> so you, you've got that going, but, um, also I think it doesn't know where it wants to stand on its issues. Um, so it'll talk about like nuclear war being bad, but then it talks about how the military is like amazing, but then it kind of ends on this kind of like really weird note about prior, um, prior embassy shootouts and someday the nuclear war, like they're, they're, they're dying for the cause. Like it, it's very confused in its politics and nothing can say that more than a truly, um, intensity destroying moment where Judy Davis and, you know, uh, the uh, British dude, whatever you want to call him, uh, secretary of security have like a 20 minute argument about terrorism, uh, you know, in the middle of your action movie to the point where you forget that Skellin even exists. So uh, fun looks nice, has some great moments, but also bogged down in weird politics and masturbatory flag waving. So I'm pretty meh. Two and a half out of five stars for me. Well done, Will. Well done, Will. All right, I gotta be the closer at five here. I can do that. All right. So for me, I let me get my five minutes, or I'm gonna mess this up timer wise. But I can talk while I'm doing that. For me, I must defer to. Um, as a Chicago guy here, I got to defer to the great Roger Ebert. He's got a quote on this movie that is kind of exactly how I ended up feeling after it, which is, he said in his review, quote, there are so many errors of judgment, strategy, behavior, and simple plausibility in this movie that we just give up and wait for it to end. You know you're in trouble when the movie's audience knows more about terrorism than the terrorists do. And I'm like, Roger... You hit that ball out of the fucking park, man. I tell you what. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm sitting around and I'm kind of like I, I, I admired Judy Davis. You know, she um just kind of knowing her story and her her you know career. Like this was pretty, you know, pretty nice get of casting for an, an up and coming actress at the time. And uh, yeah, I can't 
discount uh, where the action chops are of this director who, like you said, went on to be an assistant director and a second unit director, which is where the action is for a lot of different things. And uh, I'll tip my hat to Ian Sharp for that. But, um, but man, I, I'm waiting around for something, you know, clever or cool to kind of be there. And I get, we, yeah, I, 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 I'm so confused by where the Skellen character is going and how dumb Judy Davis's character, despite having this kind of gravitas for a cause, there has to be to let this man in on everything she does with the like, it, it just the, what is it? The bar pickup scene, and then like you're going to come to my bed, and I'm like, okay, that it, Lewis, that's your James, that's your James Vaughn audition, and you know I'm glad Judy Davis was an easy was an easy lay, but man, I don't know if anywhere else is going, <laughs> and I. So, like, when when you have this, the red flag of the former SAS guy is the one you want to bring along for the ride for the for the big showdown you want to do to prove your point. Maybe not, because he could, you know, be loyal to king and country. So once that's out the window, much like Roger said, the movie just kind of waffles for me. Um, I liked his screen presence. I'll tip my hat in Will's direction. Lewis Collins has a little bit of an... Uh, 80% of an it factor there where I could see him being, you know, just like, like Will said, this could be it. If this was a small little series, I know he came from the television ranks where you could see him building a character as he goes and, and showing off swagger as he goes. Cause he came from uh, yeah, the TV ranks with like, it was called the professional or something like that. Right. That was his big kind of thing. The professionals. Yeah. yeah. And he would go on to be, um, uh, not really much after this, which is a shame. Cause I, I do see what he's got. And, uh, that he was 36 at the time of you know this film came out, so he was right in that wheelhouse of being you know, a worthy actor to consider for James Bond, where you could get you know five, ten years out of a a guy like that at 36. But I'm kind of with Will. The swagger's there, the voice is there, the build is there. But and I know Sean Connery probably wore hair pieces this whole time, but yeah, that that hairline's got to go, man. The, <laughs> the, the, the 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 1982 helmet hair and the receding hairline cover up is just not going to go for you. I, they did good with Timothy and did way better with Pierce. So yeah, I'm um. I, I like I like the bits and the pieces that are here. Like Roy Budd has a has a pretty nice little score because uh, when you consider the the seventies where this movie came from, there's definitely some some swagger there. And um, you know, and uh, I I see recognizable people I enjoyed along the way. Like um, Maurice Roves is in there. He was in Last Mohicans. You got uh, Nick Brimble from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, playing one of the SAS guys. So there's little moments where I'm like, oh, I know that guy. And pieces and parts like that, but I, some of the parts, I, I was definitely captivated. Last fifteen minutes, when 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 the shit hits the fan and the and the helicopters show up, business picks up. But along the way, I'm like, oh man, like then it's the affair with a wife and kid at home thing, and the kidnapping of them, and like, oh, now you're just piling on. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Cinematography, I, I'll circle back and, and tip my hat to that. That's that's Phil Mehu. Who's an English cinematographer? He's um he's done six Martin Campbell films, including Golden Eye and both Zorro films, and um even in Trapman and Bicentennial Man. He he had a nice late career swoon there where he was hitting it in the nineties, but with with just like kinetic good without busy Michael Bay action movies where he was just a good solid cinematographer, and he, you can see that here where where like the setups and putting you in a good place and even the POV through the gas masks or the you know, the, the tactical mask is kind of fun a little bit, especially for its day. But man, I tell you what, for this being 1982 and you kind of consider where the world is and what the movie could be. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I'd rather watch 
Hanover Street from Peter Hyams from two years, three years before this, you know, like there's, there's definitely better ways to get some intrigue, still kind of have a little bit of battle action where you need it. Um, and just, yeah, I was, I was watching this movie and I don't know why my brain went to Harrison Ford's Hanover street, but it did. And it was just kind of funny. So yeah, kind of a mess, lovely last 15 minutes, but uh. all right, ladies and gentlemen, if you would please, uh, Join us at the end of this short announcement from our non-corporate partners and friends. We know you've been scared watching horror movies by yourself. Well, now you don't have to. Hang out with Ruminations of Red Rum. All things horror, from movies to the latest spooky games we've played. Come hang out. But hurry. The killer's behind you! All right. Welcome back, everybody. Yeah, Michael, help us make sense of this one. You're up first here. or I mean, open discussion, but I gotta defer back to you here. Well, this is one of those ones that's underneath the, I love boutique labels, and this is one of those ones that's underneath the uh, Arrow video line inside the uh, UK, was underneath their line for quite a while. And it's got a lot of cult features. I'm not going to defend the first, I think the first half of this film is a complete. I like yeah. the first half. I, I That's the part I liked. The, just complete, like the character work of yeah. Skellen? Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, yeah, I like that a lot. But go ahead, sorry, continue. But uh, to me, the first half of this film is a complete mess. It doesn't really make sense of why is this happening uh, in in there. He's not really told he's going on a mission or anything like that. Uh, Other characters don't really have good characterization in there. To me, it's where the second half gets... uh, The second half of this film is where it kind of picks up uh, in there. And a lot of the actors uh, come out and do well while inside that second half. I especially like that about last 10 minutes of this this film. Mm -hmm. Where it's kind of like it's kind of like Rocky, where half the time I'll just put in the uh, put in a Rocky film just to watch from the fight forward. Well, I'll put in this film. I love the action sequence so much. I'll put in this film just to watch the action sequence and nothing else of the film. That's how much I love the okay this particular action sequence there, and it stands on its. I think that particular scene stands on its own definitely. I'll and I think there. I think that's why the film has such a cult following years later, despite the fact if you're in the UK, every man every man at the time wanted to be Lewis Collins, they say, and every woman wanted to be with him. So I mean, he was a quite a character actor. In this film here, I think the last half of the film, he shines. The first half of the film, I wouldn't want to see him in James Bond for my uh, at all, because I don't think he does good in that first half. Yeah. There at all. Mm, uh, I liked yeah. it in the first half a lot. What what sold uh, it to you, Will? I don't know. I, I I don't know if it's because Michael had told me about the James Bond connection, but um, I looked at it as an audition. Like I put myself in 1982 when I was uh, mostly just a zygote for six months of it. <laughs> uh, uh, I was excellent <laughs> science term, by the way. Well done. Yeah, I know. That's uh, that's why. I'm an amazing teacher. Um, but uh, no, I just, I, I looked at it as an audition, like who's going to replace Roger Moore. Yes. I looked at this character and I thought, I like him. I like his swagger. I like the, uh, it does, it does take a while to kind of figure out like what the hell's going on. Like it, it takes you like 45 minutes to realize that they set up him getting kicked out of the SAS so he can go undercover for whoever. Yeah. Um, it so. You know, there's there's that um, element, but no, I just I just liked, like I said, he had. It was kind of like a 
I mean, it's difficult for me because in hindsight, trying to put myself in 1982, not knowing about Timothy Dalton, who's my favorite Bond, who would obviously be a much better... I mean, first they went with Brosnan, then Brosnan couldn't do it because of Remington Steele, and Roger Moore stuck around a little longer. So knowing that they had Brosnan then skipped out on him for the contract reasons, then went with Dalton, I mean, obviously those are better choices. So it is kind of hard to separate, put yourself in 1982 shoes. Uh, but if I was looking at him, he would be a finalist. Uh, I just, I just enjoyed his performance. I enjoyed everything about everything about him. Like I said, the only thing that sticks out to me is that yeah, he was only thirty six, but he looks like one of those seventy year old, thirty six year olds. You know, where it's kind of like I, I just don't. I, he's kind of Connery was kind of the same way. Like when you find yeah. out Connery was like thirty something, but he just looks like he's fifty forever, and it just I don't think it would have worked. Timothy Dalton older, but still kind of had a youthful quality to him, but um, a couple of things I wanted to, he's my favorite bond. Timothy Dalton. Uh, Timothy Dalton. Oh, that's, that's why I love you too. Love connection. (laughs) But there's a lot of interesting people behind the scenes on this. Uh, You know, you were talking about Phil, is it Phil Mahew? Is that how you pronounce his name? Um, Was the cinematographer. He gives me kind of like uh, Alan Hume vibe. You know, Alan Hume did like return of the Jedi and, a couple other films that they kind of have this very crisp, but not fancy look to them, um, which I, which I enjoy. Um, and then, uh, like I was saying, the director, uh, Ian Sharp, I, I was trying to figure out where I uh, recognize that name. There is a really cool, another cult movie that came out um, in, I believe 10 years later in 1992 called split second with uh, Rutger Hauer and Kim Cattrall. And um, kind of a weird dystopian London film. And the original director on that uh, had like uh, a meltdown and couldn't finish the film. So Ian Sharp came in and did the action scenes for it. And it's the best part of the movie. And then yeah. he would go on to be like to be like a uh, assistant director on things like Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Goldeneye and so a lot of interesting, like behind the scenes. I, I would say the behind the scenes things are almost more interesting than the movie, in my opinion. But there are movies uh, that turn out that way for sure. They're they're a bigger story than they are a success, you know. Well, yeah. Well, you've got like you got a bunch of Academy Award winning people on the film before the film mm-hmm. that won awards before there. I mean, you got Reginald Rose who won for Twelve Angry Men, who did the yeah. writing for the. You got Richard Widmark in there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wonder uh, when, because I was also looking at his filmography. When did Gone in sixty Seconds and the first, well, the first Fast and the Furious came out when I was a graduate high school, two thousand one yeah. or two thousand. Two thousand, yeah. But when, but when did Gone in sixty Seconds come out? Does anyone know? Oh, I'm just two. The the Nicolas Cage one. Yeah, is it later? Because I was looking. Gone, it's after Fast and Furious. Yes. Okay, because I was looking at oh, like no, he, never mind. Same year, same two thousand. Okay, because like, I was like a month apart in the summer to say it like that. I because I was looking at like Ian Sharp's filmography. Like I said, he didn't uh-huh. do too much as a director, but he did do a film with David Arquette and Fomke Johnson called RPM, in which okay. the synopsis is a professional car thief pulls off the heist of a lifetime when he steals a prototype supercar. So I looked at the cover, but not knowing the years, and I thought, oh, he seems like the kind of director that's going to come in. And do the direct-to-video knockoff of whatever's popular, but I guess he this was before Gone in sixty seconds and Fast and the Furious, so never mind. 
And to fact check for the fans out there, uh, Gone in 60 Seconds was the year 2000. Fast and Furious was the year 2001. Both summer nights, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But kind of during that uh, period of, you know, Volcano and... uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. peak, and uh, you know, like mm-hmm. I, so I yeah. automatically assume, but you know, not a fast and like all, everybody in here seems like they're almost there. You know, like they've almost had this amazing career. You know, mm-hmm. that, that could have broken out at any time. And I mean, obviously, Judy Davis being the uh, obvious uh, exception because you know she's. Been yeah, nominated she's Emmys. For, yeah, I mean, she, she's won Emmys. She's won BAFTA. She's been nominated for two, two Oscars. Oscars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Academy Award. Didn't she beat Meryl Streep one year? No, no she, she did not. She did not win. No. Yeah, nominated twice. Let's see here. Um, Husband and Wives with uh, Woody Allen, and then her second nomination was years later, right? Yeah, well, she hates like the accolades. She, she is a Woody Allen, like Better one of Woody Allen. Yeah, because I think she's done oh, like yeah. seven Orleans or something. Her her two Oscar nominations were A Passage to India two years after this, and then Husbands and Wives Woody Allen ten years after this. Nice. And A Passage to India, that's David Lean, you know, doing the big epic stuff. So I was gonna say Ian Sharp is mostly the director of this film because he was the main director of the uh TV series that uh, Lewis mm-hmm. Collins was just coming off of there. Right. Mm. Might as well, if you're giving Collins picking his picking his alias people to do stuff, you know. If you're going to put Collins in his first starring role in a in a film, Uh uh, there where he's the lead actor, put someone in there he's going to be comfortable working with. Yeah, good call there. That makes sense, and I and I can see happening plenty of times too. You know, well, because you know, if you think about it, like if we're going back to the Bond connections, right? I mean, you've got Remington Steele is kind of Bond, Uh right? So, and this. I don't know what the professionals was like. I've never seen an episode, but was it, you said it was very violent. I mean, was it too different than this movie? Um, Uh, It is a, it's kind of a secret service film, uh, uh, secret service show, but it's kind of more of a buddy cop show more than it comes across more as a buddy cop show more than anything else where Martin Shaw, the biggest actor, or Edward Ed Martin Shaw's the biggest actor in there who would go on to do some other uh big shows uh there as the lead role. Uh there him and Lewis Collins, uh they were kind of a they really paired well off of each other, kind of a Riggs and Murtos, Starsky mm-hmm. and Hutch, uh kind of kind of fun kind of fun thing, but they would be sent out to ask by their superiors to investigate wrong stuff happening inside happening to the country uh there but it, but it came across more as a buddy cop than because mm, because you know obviously roger moore had the saint which is very bondian you know and right and well, he, he never played bond he was always playing simon templar mm-hmm. well i know but i'm just saying like it's yeah. not it's a like leap. An audition it's of skills a, you know yeah it's, it's not a leap for more to go from the saint to bond or for yeah Bros to go from right. Remington to bond um so it 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 feels like this was that natural progression he's in this show maybe it's a buddy cop show but it's a little gritty he jumps into this final option thing and then you know if he became bond i I think it would be kind of the stepping stone to do that yeah perhaps Hmm. i don't know i I, I like him i want to look up more of his stuff he doesn't have a lot in his film but uh, he was interesting to me 
I agree. I really, I really, I, I mean, I don't take him to make it to the next level as Bond, but for what he was, the man carried the screen. You know, I had good screen presence, yeah. good chemistry with his male and female co-stars. Like, it wasn't like he just showed up when chicks showed up, you know, like he was, he was yeah. good as one of the guys, you know, and good as, you know, the subordinate trying to work underneath the superior and even those pieces and parts in there. And, and if, yeah, when the time comes for a man of action, you, you know, I'll, I'll, some people, this is going to sound like a bad, like star Wars knock, but like some people don't have gun firing face, you know what I mean? Like they, they do like a weird little squish of their face when they try to like, look like they're good with a gun. And like, uh, he looks fantastic. Like he was just like, yeah, let me take this Uzi and blow these motherfuckers away and, and look yeah. good doing it. Like, yeah, a cigarette away from like being the coolest thing in the whole wide world. So when you when you go to Letterbox and you uh-huh. click on who dares wins, the the you know there's always a picture from the film above yeah. like the poster and stuff. That is the cool Bond moment. Like he's running down that hallway with the yeah. gun with yeah. the other guys. That's cool. Like I was like, that's a cool action hero. Like I like uh-huh. that. The only problem is that's eight seconds of the film yeah, no. um yeah. and uh yeah we'll I, I just, yeah they, i wish there was more of that because there there literally are moments there is like a 25 minute sequence where he literally just stands in the background and watches judy davis argue with british people about oh, news. I know. and it's like <laughs> my god when is this going to end i mean mm-hmm. which is not what you want to uh, do when you're in a movie like i mean uh, another movie we're going to talk with michael about you know, you want it to end because it's so it's so like uh, cynical and nihilistic and, and like just soul destroying. But it's still a good movie. This one, it's like, yeah, yep, got places to be. Let's go. Yep. Yep, well, the, you shot everything up at the end. I'm 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 in. We're good. <laughs> well, I think the film poster for the final op- or for when they call it the final option over here says, "Great, the greatest sixty seconds of action you'll ever see." And, I, yeah. And that's where I keep I, that's where I keep backing you, Michael. That those last fifteen minutes are for its day stellar. Stuck, good editing, good shooting. You know, just man, it's. And then obviously, when you hire the pros to show up and make that happen, you know, when they when the former SAS kind of pushes the stuntmen aside and go, "We got this," just roll the roll the camera. You know, love that stuff. Yeah, I, cool. I think too. I always make weird. That's kind of my trademark on this show is to make weird uh, comparisons. Oh, this uh, would be good then. But for whatever reason, I watched before I watched these movies. I watched the two Equalizer movies with Denzel Washington. Oh, um, okay. And here's the thing: like, <clears throat> there's that moment, like when you watch those movies. I mean, and it's not just because Denzel's older, and mm-hmm. you have that um, suspension of disbelief that he's so fast and so good that he can kill anybody within like. 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like a, a good director, I, I'm, I am an Antoine Fuqua fan. Uh-huh. Um, he sells it. He sells it like, okay, Denzel gets this done. Like he'll, he can kill a room full of Russian mobsters in 13 seconds. And it, and it shows <laughs> and the tension is there. And it shows this one, like the movie. And, and like I said, it's, it's, it's just, it's just weird that I happen to watch both. Like, you know, they're on their little, their little campsite you know, where they're practicing <laughs> climbing roofs and going through buildings and stuff. And which reminded me of police Academy for no reason, but um, totally did. But, but um, you know, like, and then, you know, at the end they come in, they kind of, you know, whip everybody's ass within 60 seconds. It just, it, it, it adds to that a, like not the greatest directing and B that masturbatory, like, look how good we are. Like mm-hmm. it just, 
it felt so slow. And I, and I don't want to be like one of these people that thinks like old films are, uh, are slower, but I just, sure. I was just, I just saw it executed so well in one set of films by a very good director. And then this one, kind of this middle of the road where it's supposed to impress you and you're kind of like, mm, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah. Okay. Well, that said, uh, uh, Edward Woodward would go on to be the equalizer. Robert McCall. Mm. There we go. question. Denzel Washington and Queen Latifah. I got a question that kind of goes with this movie. Uh, I was reading some IMDb trivia last night when I finished watching it. And uh, apparently this movie gets quite the knock for being kind of hawkish and, and right wing and a big uh, Ronald Reagan's a big fan of this for being just kind of a, an ultra conservative <laughs> wet dream. Michael, what are your kind of thoughts on that? Do you get that vibe? Are you feeling that? Or is that made up well, for the sake of fandom? Well, to tell you the truth, a little bit of a, a history on this film. Uh, Ronald Reagan uh, got a print of Who Dares Wins uh, before it came out inside the U.S. One of his staff was in there watching it with him, uh, who would later uh, go on to become part of a film company. And that staff member optioned the film for the U.S. release. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, do you take much? Do you get much? Take much stock in it being the labels that it gets, the ultra conservative, the right wing nut job kind of thing that it is. Judy or? Davis hates. Judy Davis hates the film. She uh, does. It. I did read that. Yeah. Oh, see, she I hates- didn't read that. I, I thought she was saying that she liked the role. That it was meaty, is what I saw her quote. She said it was a meaty role. I she liked the result is what she was talking about. Like good role, shitty result, right? She uh, likes her parts. She likes her parts uh, in there of how it was written in there, or she wouldn't have taken the role. She had to read the parts for her before she would take it uh, in there. Cause she initially turned it down. But uh-huh. after the film came out and she saw it, she sees it as a right wing uh, kind of thing. And uh, quite honestly, it is very, it does promote pro military pro whatever you want to oh, call it absolutely. that's what i'm saying it has, it has that michael bay in there but michael yeah. bay military masturbation stuff you know yeah. but that, was the, that was this the is 80s. Old, this is an old man's 13 hours right here actually but that, but that was the 80s i mean that just sort of, it kind of comes across to me as we or you're supposed to hate the russians with all uh, your guts oh, well i was to say or it's michael bay in ambulance last week well, where it's like American flags are still in the sunlight, and even the bad guys were heroes in the military, and it's like blah blah blah, uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Well, Michael, question for you, real quick. Yeah. Uh, was the and uh, was the super hot older blonde lady with the Uzi in the uh, beginning? Is that is that Ingrid Pitt? It is. Who is who is in the yes, Wicker well. Man? That's one of the other things I love about this film uh, here. I really didn't go into it there. Uh, Ingrid Ingrid Pitt's in it, uh, the horror icon in there. There's a couple of other people in there that, oh, I know that guy from other TV series. Right. I was mentioning stuff. Yeah. That I know over there that hardly anyone's going to know over here. Like, I like Tony Osaba uh, in Mm -hmm. the film. He is the uh, light skinned black man uh, uh, in there. Uh, In there, he doesn't have much of a role in this film, but because I know who he is and like him in there, it kind of makes that just seeing him in there. a oh, nice touch kind of makes me feel at home with the movie there. But with Ingrid Pitt, yeah, she's fantastic in the film. I oh, love the cat. Part. Can she we get did. her, can we get her in that wicker man bathtub or no? <laughs> I, I perked the movie up a little bit. 
Well, no, there, I mean, all right, I'm going to be, well, first off, she had two great scenes for my perverted self. The first one, when she's bossing everybody around, yeah, like with the guns, please do that to me. I'm more than happy <laughs> to be abused and submissive to you. I okay. promise. But then the second one, the little 13-year-old pervert in me is when she starts wrestling the the wife. It's a hell of a good know, chick fight, by the way. And, and then suddenly, like yes. suddenly her her dress just starts coming more off and more off. And I'm just like, keep going, keep going, don't right. kill her yet. And, and then, they, then they kill her, and I'm like, God damn it. Yeah, that was Lloyd's daughter. He tends to put her in those roles where she gets roughed up uh quite a bit uh, in all of his in the majority of his films. He that, casts his daughter in some film role. That is um, re- remarkable uh, mm-hmm. for psychological reasons. <laughs> it seems a little strange. It's yeah. kind of like, uh, what was Bo Derek's husband? John, uh, John Cassavetes for a while, right? No, no. Who's the one who oh, directed John her? Derrick. John Derek, who directed her in, in uh, like, like to me, like know. Bolero, when he's like, hey, let's film a graphic 10-minute sex scene with my wife. Oh, yeah. Like, it, yeah. it gives off, like, that kind of... Oh God! Talk about right wing cuckish, uh-huh. like like fuck my wife, fuck my yeah, wife on yeah. camera, you know, like 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 rough up my daughter, like oh my God, mm-hmm. a, little, a little messed up. <laughs> I so. agree. Uh, final thoughts here, gentlemen. Anything around the table? <laughs> I think Michael? it's well worth a watch uh, if you can uh, go online to Tubi or stream it from Tubi. It's well worth a watch from Tubi. Uh, there, you don't have to pay anything like that. I, you know, I love the uh, boutique label Arrow, so I buy all their stuff right there. But like a lot of their films, a lot, a lot of the films, they have great moments in some of them films, and uh, sometimes the rest of the films not so great. Yeah, I'm not mad. I watched this. You know, this was this was worthwhile. <laughs> I'll tip my hat here. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's uh, it's well, it's well made. It just it feels like there's something missing, and I can't quite put it. Whether that's the, you know, that's the stars or the, you know, whatever, not being, you know, stars or, you mm. know, the director not, not quite hit, you know, hitting that glass ceiling, not quite breaking it. Everybody kind of involved yeah. just kind of, it, it feels like they're, they're almost there. And so, so, so it's worth watching because it is kind of fun to see, like, if this worked just a little bit, I could see this being a franchise, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's the way it goes. Yeah. Well, Michael, thanks for coming on as our guest. Uh, I, I know we're going to bring you back for another episode, but the, the one that we're recording right after this, but for all the people who listen to this episode, they don't know that. So see you again soon, Michael. Okay. See you guys. All right. So follow us. Oh, you know what? Before we do that, Michael, where can we reach you? Cause you are, you comment on, I know you're active on social media. Like where can we find you so that people can, um, you know, hear about your encyclopedic knowledge of films. I would say just go to my Twitter uh, on there is probably the best one where, cause I share my, I do usually about three films, a, three films a week on there underneath a Bender, underneath a Bender Dalek. Bender mm-hmm. Dalek. So Bender, like the character from Futurama and Dalek, like from Dr. Who? Yes. That's nice. a hell of a love yeah, I think I love that. I, it's one of those ones where, uh, you know, on that uh, their wishing machine for Futurama, on there since Leela is a Doctor Who character, uh, and the people like Doctor they Matt Groening like Doctor Who enough uh, called Leela after that Doctor Who character. I keep wishing 
they would do that up that that what if what if life was more like Doctor Who on there where Bender's head is on top of a Dalek. Well there you go. See yeah. you're manifesting your fantasies. I think about Ingrid Pitt's shirt falling off, you think about Bender's yeah. head on a Dalek. Oh so there you well, go. That's what makes you and I different. <laughs> All right. So so follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit and on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast. Also find us both on Letterboxd. Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by the RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes and the new Banana Meter. If you enjoyed this show, Ruminations Radio Network has more where that came from with wonderful programs and interesting hosts. Our show and others are available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.